I've dramatically reduced the number of places and spaces that I'm in. I think, um, and a lot of that happened once I became 50. I think in my early days, I thought it was important to be visible because I recognize in many cases, you know, we're both experiencing the oneness. I'm the only one invited. I'm the only woman invited. I'm the only black person invited. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure that I felt in making sure that I was there because I felt, I believe that if I didn't show up, no one else would get that invitation. Um, I'm not sure that was right or wrong, but that's that was what I did. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Women's CEO in Reflection. I am Bridget Latisse Smith, and it is my honor to be your guest host this week. A little bit about me before I introduce our fantastic guest today. In my 20s, I worked in television news. I hosted a popular talk show, and I started my own first company. In my 30s, I transitioned into tech and I landed at Google. And now I'm in the third act of my life where I'm called what they, they call me a super angel. I didn't even know that existed. But people call me a super angel. It's because I write a lot of checks. I invest in venture capital firms, startups, private equity, and alternative assets. So that is a little bit about my background because we're going to be talking about that whole ecosystem a little bit today with our guest. So just wanted to set the stage. Um, so this week, this week, I have an amazing lineup of guests for this podcast. They range from trailblazing investors, private equity disruptors, and venture capitalists to diverse female founders. So it covers the whole spectrum. Together, we will explore their journey, pivotal moments in their life, and how they focus on self-care along the way. My next guest is the one and the only Melissa Bradley. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so excited. So before the call started, I was sharing how I uh, was introduced to Melissa without her knowing who I was. Uh, we're both members of this uh, group, the syndicate, the syndication group called Gangels um, for Investors. And uh, so when I joined Gangels, they then um, sent me some email about a book that they published called Gangels 100. And Gangels, Gangels 100 is a collection of accomplished, inspiring, venture-backed LGBTQ entrepreneurs. So I get the book in the mail. And for, for dramatic purposes, let me just break it down. It is a beautifully well-designed, colorful, almost edible book. When you look at it, it's just delicious to look at. And it's so well-produced. And so as soon as it comes in the mail, I open the book and the pages are glossy, full of color, and it's just so inviting. So I literally sit down and I read the book cover to cover because all of the, the interviews are so, all of the stories and the people are so interesting. And that's where I came across you, Melissa. That was my introduction to you without you knowing who I was. I love it. I love it. You never, you never know uh, how people come across you. So you gotta love yes. it. Yes. Yes. And then as time, as, 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 you know, as energy and, and, and the world would have it, we end up being in some, I started investing. I started getting in more immersed. You've been in this ecosystem for a minute, my love. I just became familiar with investing and, and all of these things in the last two years. So I'm starting to see your name and, and, and realize the power, the power of every room you walk into and every space and that your reputation precedes you. And so then I had the honor of meeting you in person person in Martha's Vineyard earlier this year. And, uh, and it was nothing less than magic. 
So I am honored to have you as my guest on this podcast today. You, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Yes, yes. So let me do a proper introduction. Melissa's bio is amazing. And she she sent me the short version. But when I went to her website, I'm like, wait a minute, there's like three pages. So I'm going to read. <laughs> I'm going to read the short version. So everybody can just understand the magnitude of what you bring to the table. So Melissa is a is a general partner at 1863 Ventures. She is a serial entrepreneur, an investor, a professor and a researcher. Her expertise ranges from impact investing, technology, financial services, social entrepreneurship, venture capital, and social responsibility to media. All of those things. Those, that's her expertise. That's a lot. Melissa has extensive experience in the startup space, facilitating investments for startups and emerging companies and board leadership. And when time permits, it sounds like she loves to golf. So maybe we'll hear, hear a little bit about your golfing adventure as we go. Clearly, I'm not golfing enough based on my score. <laughs> <laughs> well, you your score is better than mine because I don't golf at all. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'm winning somewhere then. There you go. <laughs> so let, let's start with a little bit about the early. I always love to understand people's roots, like where you grew up and the early version of yourself, because that to me is um, always the signal uh, on your foundation and how you look at life and how you see things and, and how you evolve. So can you just walk us through just some highlights of the early version of you as a, as a young person? Happy to and, and uh, honored to have this conversation. And I think you you hit upon it, right? I think the early days for most people define their trajectory. Um, so I, my family grew up in New York City. Uh, I, I have a single parent household. My father died of a heart attack when I was three months old. Uh, my mom was 40 uh, when I was born, told she could not have kids. And here I came. Um, and she worked multiple jobs to make sure that I could have a good education and, and go to private school. And one of her jobs was actually cleaning houses on the weekend. And obviously, I would go along with her, uh, and I would get to see these amazing houses, uh, which probably by today's standards would not be considered mansions. They'd be McMansions, but I didn't know any better growing up in a one-bedroom apartment. And I would hang out with the kids because many of them were kids my age. And I would and I would often think to myself, and sometimes say to my mom, you know, these kids ain't that smart. Like I don't really understand, but but they're just not that bright. Um, and, and I finally then started talking to the parents and the parents were people who own their own businesses. They own mechanic shops, they own painting companies, they own various types of, of entities. And I would say like, what's the difference between us, right? Like they're, they're not smarter than me, no disrespect. Um, they're definitely a different color than me. Uh, and they're all controlling their own destiny. And so I think very early on, I consider myself a nerd. I realized this distinction of wealth creation as seen through the lens of race. And mm -hmm. very early on said, I want to be a business person and uh, was a was a relatively avid reader. I read a lot of biographies about people who are successful in general and then obviously successful in business and mapped out very early on um, that I wanted to change this thing of capitalism that I felt was clearly oppressing my family and others like that. Uh, very early on, I would say probably middle school, first year of high school, decided that I wanted to go to Georgetown University, uh, only school I applied to, got in early decision. And that was the beginning of it all, right, of, of being a finance major and really beginning to see the systems in play when I was a young person and then understanding how they work as a college student and then really laying the foundation of my desire to definitely be in finance uh, and then ultimately worked my way to, to get to venture capital. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So your your journey, it sounds like you were very clear early 
um, which I think is a gift. Anytime you can understand and recognize where 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 um, your higher power, whatever that higher power is for you, but that higher power is pulling you in that direction. And so that's a gift. There was it sounds like there was no time wasted. Um, so that's amazing. So I'm, I'm loving the arc. And so now you're in the venture capital space. So you're a serial entrepreneur. So at some point you must've had a couple of companies along the way. Uh, is that, is that, would that be true? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so, and then, and then you decided to start investing um, and be on the other side of the house so that you could invest in companies that needed that financial support. And, and I'm sure there's way more than, uh, you know, financial capital, there's intellectual capital, there's connection capital, there's all these things, but Walk us through a little bit about how you, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit and then the investor side. And now you're, I'm going to call you a mogul in the venture capital community. You are the goat. And so uh, I'm telling you, when I walk, when you show up, people, it's like the party of the Red Sea. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. And so I'm just like, okay, uh, I want to go where she's going. <laughs> so walk us through how did you get from from that mission, that that early mission and that passion and that that clarity that you had for yourself to get to where you are today? I appreciate that. Um, I, I attribute it to being 55 and having lived through many economic cycles and unfortunately many investors who left the industry and never came back and I kind of hung in there. And I think my ability to hang in there was because how I started. I actually started as an angel investor. Uh, when I started my first company, I went to the SBA, uh, which I'd say has changed, uh, to get a loan. And they told me no. And, and I said, well, why? So the score woman said no. And she said, well, because you have three strikes. And I was like, is that it? Well, come on with it. And she said, well, you're a woman, uh, you're black, and I don't know any successful black women in financial services. Now, that's how old I am because it was financial services, not fintech. Mm -hmm. Luckily, my mom, you know, image and, and the whisper said, get out before you do something you will regret. And so I ended up leaving and I was quite upset. And in the elevator ride, what I said is, you know what, I'm not going to let this lady you know, dissuade me. And, and if ever I am successful... And I can make sure that no one can ever make that statement again, then that's what I aim for. Mm -hmm. And so when I had my first financial services company, I was able to be fortunate to have an exit and started to become an angel investor and realized how complicated that was. I, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I had no idea what I was doing at all, And but but really learned. And, and I think found and understood the the uh, distinction between small businesses and and, and startups, high growth startups, um, but got a chance to do some things well and do some things wrong. And, and then from that point on, realized that it was going to be important for me to toggle between being an entrepreneur and being an investor. Um, oh. So I, I sold a, another company last year, which was actually a tech company, which was great. Um, was venture backed. So it was, I, I now have that perspective of what does it mean to be on the other side of the table, having been an investor. Um, definitely enjoy being on this side of the table more of actually making investments. But it is helpful to have those roles to both for, for probably three reasons. One, to just understand what does it take to be on the supply and demand side of capital. I think two, to be able to draw a line through the ebbs and flows of the capital that we've seen and the various booms and busts. Um, and I think the third thing is that I come to this now with a high level of compassion uh, for entrepreneurs, uh, understanding what they're going through as they're actually growing and building a business. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many threads in what you just said. I think when you just said that last year you sold your venture backed company, the word exit popped up right for me. And there's so many founders that I come across that don't have an exit mindset. So can you just touch on that? Just a heartbeat about how important is it to have an exit mindset, even when you're in the early stages of building? 
Yeah. You know, I tell entrepreneurs that the to me, the best businesses have been those that respectfully, not just organically started and kind of grew, but had a very clear end goal in mind and reverse engineered that end goal. And so co-founders and I, we were very clear, we wanted this to be a very successful company. And I think under, we, we had conversations earlier on, like, who's our potential acquirer? What are the benchmarks we need to meet to get acquired? Uh, and then fortunately, in the end, had, had two people to choose from. But I think you have have to be intentional. I think, unfortunately, many entrepreneurs are even unclear what their exit strategy is, right? I think they grapple, particularly if you're an entrepreneur of color, you grapple with, do I want this to be a general wealth, general wealth, uh, generational wealth mechanism, or do I want this to be just a wealth mechanism for myself? Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's possible to do both, but I think those are the mm-hmm. false dichotomies we create. So we were very intentional in, in terms of thinking about how much money we needed at what times. We were very clear uh, targeting around how many customers we had to get, when we needed to uh, be break even when we needed to be profitable, how we would gradually decline our customer acquisition costs. Um, and I think that if you talk to many folks who've had an exit within, I'd say, a five to seven year time period, ours was with, with less than three, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's because they were very intentional. That's what they wanted to do. And I think mm-hmm. we have made it seem respectfully harder than it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's hard, don't get me wrong, but I think if you are very clear that you're starting a business based on your own expertise and skills, and you think about what you want the end goal to be, then you start to surround yourself with the onset of who your potential acquirers were. And ironically, we did. Uh, Mm -hmm. We actually had Salesforce, one of our investors, but ironically, they didn't buy us. But we knew that in working with them, we would understand what that pathway was, and it would give us the visibility to, to other potential acquirers. I love it. I hope uh, I hope folks who are listening to this are taking some notes because I'm trying to keep up. It is I, I cannot wait to listen to this again because I'm sure I've missed some of the gems along the way because I'm, I'm focused on your energy and, your, and what you're describing. And I'm also thinking, how do I apply this to my world? How do I share this knowledge and information with the founders that I, I touch and impact on a regular day to day basis? So. Oh my goodness. So let me just take a breath. So the next thought that comes to mind, you are everywhere everywhere. I see your name everywhere. You're, you have your impact report. Your annual impact report is just full of, of like you said earlier in the, in the intro, I mentioned that you're a researcher. It definitely comes across in everything that I see that has your name attached to it. So there's so many things going on in this space in the venture capital world. How do you balance all of that goodness and then all of your intellectual capital and experience and um, the, the rooms that you're in? Um, you are, you are everywhere. Like I said, you have, you are a really, you are the greatest of all time. So how do you balance that with self-care and mental health to make sure you take care of you so you can contribute to all of those spaces and all of the people that are relying on you? Yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate that. Um, it's funny. I've dramatically reduced the number of places and spaces that I'm in. I think, um, and a lot of that happened once I became 50. I think in my early days, I thought it was important to be visible because I recognized in many cases, you know, we're both experiencing the oneness. I'm the only one invited. I'm the only woman invited. I'm the only black person invited. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure that I felt in making sure that I was there because I felt, I believe that if I didn't show up, no one else would get that invitation. Um, I'm not sure that was right or wrong, but that's that was what I did. I think as I've gotten older, um, and so I think at some point, self-care was like, it'll happen when I get older. Um, in 2019, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2020, April, 26th, April 25th, 2020, I had a stroke. Mm. Um, stroke because of a heart condition. Uh, oh. I had been in for months. Actually, my family and I were in Ghana when everybody was doing the return. 
Uh, and my Apple Watch had said like something's not right. And my wife went to medical school and she's like, let's let's watch that. And when I got back to the States, I went to the doctor and like, yeah, something's not right. Let's just try some different things. And and during that time of really trying to figure out what the issue was, I had a stroke. Uh, and then subsequently, uh, seven weeks later, I had heart surgery. And that was just, that was it, right? It, mm-hmm. it it was it was the recognition. I had had that moment earlier when I used to travel a lot back and forth. Actually, at one point I had a job on the West Coast and lived the East Coast. And I would remember the, my kids' eyes crying when I went to the airport. That should have been enough, but the the trauma that I saw in recognizing that I could die, uh, unfortunately, was my wake up call. Right, Yana Van Zan says, first you get a tap, then first you get a whisper, then you get a tap, then you hit the brick wall. I think I was on my mm-hmm. way the brick wall. And so I, I was supposedly taking six months off. I think I took three and a half months off. Um, but during that time, I had to really reprioritize, A, what was important. Um, and, I think what, and, and also what was important to me and what was the signal that I was sending to my kids around a work ethic. Um, mm-hmm. I realized that in hindsight, when you read their school projects, I was sending the signal that work was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. It was not the signal that I wanted to send. Um, although it may be how I was showing up, that's not what, what I had learned. And so I really, you know, from during that time in COVID, obviously being locked up, really began to spend more time with my family, reflecting on what I should be doing and really thinking about where I show up. And so I, I don't say this to be uh, to brag, but I probably don't go to at least 40 to 50% of the things that I'm invited to. And what's but- crazy about that, Melissa, is that it feels like you're there. Because right. you're in the right rooms at the right time, That's right? Process, right. And and I think I'm mindful of, um, and, and it's been great because I've expanded my network. Um, I'm mindful that when I get an invitation, I don't decline it. I think about who else can I send to show up so oh. that we can stop the oneness. And, and I can spread the social capital I have been privileged to get. And then I'm hyper-focused on where are the rooms that either they've said no one else can come <laughs> Or I know I need to be there because it's a chance for more than one of us to be there. And we want to break the door open so other people can come. Um, mm-hmm. So a very different aperture uh, upon which I analyze where do I show up and where do I not. Um, and, and I think I also show up where I actually think I can give value. And you alluded to it. I'm also a professor at Georgetown. And as a finance person, I'm hooked on numbers. And I find that there are probably more rooms now that I go to slightly more because I recognize the the negative impact of bad information, mm-hmm. um, either lack of information or bad information, I think runs the risk of of causing a level of regression within the growth and and success that entrepreneurs of color have had. And so I do find myself, you know, showing up in very specific circles as an investor, specific as an entrepreneur, and now very specific circles as a researcher to be able to help demystify that it is a plausible and viable option to invest in entrepreneurs of color and expect a significant return. Mm-hmm. What what does it look like? Uh, because you cover so much ground, you cover so much ground. So what does it look like on a day-to-day basis when you're in the midst of it all? And, um, and, and I, and I understand the, the, the reduction of, of your, your say conserving your energy and, and being intentional about where you physically put yourself and how you intentionally leverage your social capital and spread it across. So my question is on a day-to-day basis, uh, what are, what does it look like for you to take care of yourself? Yeah. So I wake up every morning and I pray and I meditate. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so I pray and I meditate before I get out the bed. Uh, and then I got the bed and exercise. And then usually I hit the shower and get ready and, and go to work wherever or wherever I'm supposed to be that day. Um, I have an aura ring. Um, so it buzzes me to get up and walk. Um, so I usually take breaks at least once an hour, even if it's just doing a lap right around the building. And what um, is that exactly? I've never heard of that. It's an aura ring. Um, so oh. it's, it's kind of like an Apple watch and a ring, but it, it came oh. out many years ago. This is version two. Um, and it came onto the scene because the NBA players wore it during COVID because it tracks your stress level, it tracks your heart level, it tracks really? your sleep, it tracks your exercise, and it's a lot less cumbersome than wearing a, a watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it shows trends over time and you can share it with whoever. So I think I'm, I'm mindful of how many steps I want to get a day. Uh, it, you know, it buzzes. Uh, I get an alert on my phone when it's like, hey, it's time for, you've been sitting too long, get up. So I'll walk around the building. Um, even if I don't eat lunch, I'll, I'll make sure I walk around the block at least. Um, I've now tried to minimize and eat salads at lunch. I do intermittent fasting. Um, I try to have my biggest meal before eight o'clock if I haven't done it during lunch. Um, I'm a big tequila drinker, so I try to just get everything done. Um, <laughs> I knew uh, there was more than one reason why I love you. <laughs> and then on the weekends, I don't work um, unless it's absolutely imperative, which is which is the new norm. Because before I would get up really in the morning on both Saturday and Sunday and work before the rest of the family got up. But my wife, who actually did go to medical school, said, you know, two things she used to say to me. She goes, you know, you're not you're not curing cancer. So like, sit your ass down. And then (laughs) I love her, too. She said, you know, even Obama goes to his kids basketball games. Like, what are you doing? And I said, well, because we're working, he can go to the basketball games. But but I got I got it. And and so so I don't work on the weekends unless there's some really huge deliverable. Um, I have the privilege to live in D.C. by Rock Creek Park. So on the weekends, I try to get my five miles in a day uh, and, and really just focusing on what I'm eating, um, conscious about weight, uh, conscious about uh, mental engagement. And so have different things that I do, apps or whatever, just to make sure I'm staying engaged. Uh, I'm following uh, the protocol of Peter Atia, who wrote the book Outlive, which is now my favorite book of all time. Um, and, and I think journaling as well, like just mm-hmm. really spending time reflecting on what's left for me to do. Um, at the age of 55, I'm, I'm mindful that I don't knock on wood. My mom is 95. I don't expect to die anytime soon, but really being thoughtful of what is it that I need to do so that the stroke and all the work and hours I put in do not regress. And so it is showing up in more boards and pushing more people onto those boards. It's mm-hmm. being in rooms and saying, no, 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 don't just invite me, invite this person. It's getting opportunities to speak or keynote and say, I can't, but I got somebody like I'll be there, but I got somebody else. And I think it's really sure that there's not just replacement, but there's scale in terms of what options are moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the time and, and I know we have to, to wrap this up so you can probably have your tequila. I have a curious question. Have you invested in a tequila company as an investor? Not yet. We've invested in spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not invested in tequila. I am a tequila snob. And so respectfully, I haven't found any that I like just yet. There okay. is one that is on its way to coming to market that I'm taking a look at. But right now, it's mostly been other spirits. Okay. Because I, I find as an investor, I definitely put my money in things that I am familiar <laughs> with. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I, I drink vodka. So I'm looking at, I'm looking to invest in a vodka it's company. So I'm doing my... Yeah, I'm doing my research on that now. Uh, I'm t- my research is the, for you. my research is at the liquor store, so <laughs> I, well, I gotta try the product. They need your help too. Well, they need love too. So we are there. We are yes. there. 
Yes, that's a part of my self-care formula. Well, I'm going to say this has been truly a fantastic podcast opportunity, time, et cetera. Everything about this has just made my day. Um, And I thought I had a terrific day until now. I think you just really capped off my day. So I just want to thank you, Melissa, from the bottom of my heart for just allowing us to have this conversation with you and and to understand who you are beyond, you know, you know, the, the shiny book I got in the mail, like that was my intro to you in the very beginning and look at us now. So I'm, I'm honored and privileged to just be in your circle. And I thank you for your time today. I'm honored to be here with you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. So everyone, thank you for joining uh, Women CEO in Reflection. Again, I'm your guest host this week, Bridget L. Smith. Please find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you. Melissa's on LinkedIn as well. So uh, we'd love to just stay in touch. So thank you again for your uh, attention. And and I hope you took some good notes because I know you're going to need to hear this once or twice to get it. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you.